everyone, and welcome to the Planning for Retirement podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lau, and today we're going to be talking about how to stress test your retirement plan. Now, most people think about stress tests when they're going to the doctor, they're getting hooked up to some monitors, put in a treadmill and doing a little bit of exercise. And, you know, ultimately, the doctor is monitoring your blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, your fatigue level, all sorts of things. Really, their goal is to see how your heart performs or responds with a little bit of stress. And I like to take that same concept into my financial planning practice to see how my clients' portfolios or retirement plans or other long-term objectives respond with a little bit of stress. And the reason I do this probably is obvious, but really the idea is that we're planning for a 15, 20, 30, or even a 40-year uh, window. And things are inevitably going to happen. We just don't know what those things are and we don't know when they're going to happen exactly. So uh, what I like to do because people worry and they are concerned about different things is I like to flush those things out in the financial planning process to see what's keeping up, keeping them up at night and ultimately stress test those scenarios to make sure that their long-term objectives are still holding up and still have a high probability of achieving them with a little bit of stress. So there are a lot of different stress tests that I've run in my career, but what I found is that there are four major stress tests that I put all of my clients through. And if they can pass these four stress tests, they are sleeping really, really well at night. Uh, they're enjoying retirement. They're, they're, they're freed up to spend their own money in retirement, which is an interesting thing. But people that are retired, they have this concern of running out of money. And so there's, there's this, always this fear of you know, spending too much because you don't know how long you're going to live or, or what's going to happen. So uh, I, I found that people are enjoying lives more in retirement by stress testing these scenarios up front. So without further ado, the four stress tests that I run for all of my clients to make sure that they have a bulletproof plan are number one, great recession loss, number two, long-term care costs, number three, prolonged low returns, and number four, living longer than expected. So we're gonna dive into each of these in a little bit more detail. I hope everyone finds this helpful. I hope you take something away from it. Uh, you can all always reach out to me directly. You can email me at kevin at imaginefinancialsecurity.com. You can also go to my website and contact me there at www.imaginefinancialsecurity.com. Um, you can also subscribe to our podcast. That's always very helpful. And you can be informed of new episodes that drop, et cetera, et cetera. But always love to hear from you to let me know what you th think. And if you have any questions as it relates to your situation, always happy to answer and be a resource. So let's dive in. All right, we're gonna start with talking about the Great Recession Loss Test. Some may call it the bear market test. And you know, a bear market is quantified as a 20% drop in the stock market from its previous high. I like to use the Great Recession Loss Test because it is the biggest drop in the stock market that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, not bigger than the Great Depression, uh, which was an 86% drop from previous highs in the 1920s, uh, 1929. So um, that is extreme. But in 2007 to 2009, from its peak, the market dropped about 56%. And it took about 49 months for the market to get back to that previous high that it hit in 2007. Um, a normal bear market 
will last on average about 22 months. Um, and typically, you know, they, they happen every five years. So they're fairly common. So I want to make sure that if my client goes through one of these types of bear markets, and if it's as extreme or close to the Great Recession, I want to make sure that they're prepared and we have a plan and we have a high probability of achieving ultimately their retirement income goals or other legacy goals that they might have. So how do we do this? Okay, so so the first thing is prioritizing the objectives into needs, wants, and wishes. This is important because obviously if we go through a serious recession or a depression, you know, my clients may not be buying boats or taking their bucket list travel. You know, they might be, but they're probably not. They can probably make some of those cuts. So we would quantify those as maybe wants or wishes. Whereas, you know, your basics like food, healthcare, water, shelter, those types of things are needs. So we want to make sure that we have three categories of objectives, needs, wants, and wishes. And this is all part of the process up front. Once we have this quantified, we run it through a simulation to see what is the probability of success in achieving those goals if we go through a great recession in their life expectancy? So what's cool about this is if clients pass the test, then great. You know, there's not a whole lot of changes we need to make. If they fail the test or if some of their objectives need to be cut out, we can then make decisions on what should be done. You know, whether that's changing the investment strategy or um, saving more before retirement, or if they're already retired, maybe it's reducing expenses or, or working, you know, doing consulting part time. There are a number of different things that we can do. The biggest controllable is obviously the investment strategy. So, so with this, what I like to make sure happens is that we have a significant amount of non-correlated assets to stocks in the portfolio. So typically, you know, clients would refer to this as bonds. You know, I would call it fixed income or other alternatives. And it's crazy. I recently saw an article from a major publication that said bonds are terrible investments, which is insane because, you know, that's a very blanket statement and you're talking to an audience that is all different ages. So, yeah, bonds may be terrible for some, but they're amazing for my clients that are approaching or in retirement because they serve as that hedge if the stock market does go through a great recession type of scenario. So let's say, for example, the stock market dips 20 percent or more or like in 2007, 2009, it dropped 56%. If 100% of our portfolio is in stocks, we would have to liquidate stocks to generate income, right? So we'd be selling stocks at a loss. Now, you've probably heard the notion you want to be buying low and selling high, not selling low. So in order to alleviate this concern, we need to make sure we have a certain dollar amount in the fixed income, cash, or alternatives asset classes to make sure that if we go through a bear market or a recession like 2007, 2009, where it took 49 months to recover, we have enough in those asset classes so we don't have to sell stocks low. So if I'm using that benchmark of 49 months of full recovery, that's roughly four years of income that we would want to have in fixed income types of investments that we can pull from in those types of bear markets or recessions. What this does is that alleviates the pressure on doing anything within stock, the stock side of the portfolio. Let those asset classes recover because historically speaking, stocks do come back and they do perform way, way better than bonds. I do agree with that. But it allows us to put less pressure on those equity investments, allow them to recover and still generate that income that my clients need to enjoy their lifestyle and have that peace of mind. So again, hopefully the takeaway here is 
Let's see if the portfolio holds up and the goals hold up if we go through a bear market scenario like a great recession. And then secondly, let's make sure we have a well thought out investment strategy to ensure that we have other asset classes in the portfolio that are non-correlated to stocks so we can weather those storms when we go through them. Because on average, these happen every five years. If we have a 30-year retirement, you're going to be lucky enough to live through about six of those bear markets. All right, next we're going to talk about long-term care costs. And this is a topic that has been pretty much at the forefront for, for my clients since I've been in the business. And it's only gotten more prevalent as people are living longer. You know, and, and one thing I saw, a study that was done on life expectancy, which I thought really was staggering to me, is that someone who is 65 today has almost a 70% chance of needing some type of long-term care services in their lifetime. And uh, what's, what's even more staggering is that 20% of those age 65 or older who would need long-term care will need it longer than five years. And if you think about the cost of long-term care and the fact that Medicare does not pay for long-term care, uh, it's concerning for most people. And you know, as a practitioner, you know, doing specializing in retirement planning, it's something I need to assume every single person I work with has a long-term care plan. I'm not saying they need to own insurance, but I need to make sure they have a plan. And what I've found is the best way to start that planning discussion is to stress test to see how the retirement goals, how their other long-term objectives, how their investment portfolio holds up if we put one or even both individuals, if they're married, through a long-term care stress test. Now, how we do this is, is challenging because you might need care for a year, you might need care for 10 years if it's something that's more cognitive like dementia. And it's obviously impossible to run all of those scenarios. So what I do is I take the average for women, it's 3.7 years of care. For men, it's 2.2 years of care. And I multiply that by the average cost of a private nursing home, which right now is about $105,000 per year in today's dollars. So someone's 65, you know, that's today's dollars. We want to build in a reasonable rate of inflation, 4 5 maybe 6%, depending on the state and depending on the type of care we're going to stress test is a prudent inflation rate for this type of service. And so if we're looking out 15, 20, or even 30 years down the road and doing the stress test, the numbers are going to be quite staggering. And, you know, personally, I think there's probably some sort of bubble that's going to burst with long-term care costs going up the way they have been over the last couple of decades. You know, I think technology and the industry will evolve to help alleviate some of that inflation. But for now, it's quite staggering. So once we run through the stress test, I will then share with my client if they have a high degree of success in self-insuring. And this assumes they don't have any long-term care insurance. And if they have a high degree of set, success self-insuring, you know, they really have one of two options. They could self-insure, meaning use their own assets, whether that's investment portfolios, 401ks, IRAs, uh, individual stocks or bonds, mutual funds, whatever it might be. They can use their own assets to self-insure or they can decide to buy insurance to hedge their portfolio. And what I mean by that is, instead of liquidating investments that are going to generate potentially five, six, seven, eight percent a year in returns, they simply buy insurance so that if they ever need care, 
they can keep those assets on their balance sheet to essentially work for them and for future generations or maybe their spouse and essentially allow the insurance to pay the cost of long-term care. So, or they can do a combination of, you know, and that's what I see a lot of people do is they'll get some insurance, but then they'll self-insure for the rest. And, you know, there's no magic number, but I think the stress test will give us an idea of, hey, are you successful self-insuring? And if so, we have some options. If you're not successful, then really there's one of two things. Number one, we can change the goals, uh, meaning you can work longer, you can spend less, you could change your investment strategy, uh, you could do consulting or work part time, or you can buy some insurance to hedge against this risk. And you know, from my experience, you know, if you are in your 50s or 60s or, or even your 40s, you know, long term care insurance is relatively affordable. But the older you get, you know, once you get into your mid to late 60s or 70s, it gets more expensive. So, you know, in those scenarios, you know, you're going to want to look through uh, many different carriers and you're going to want to work with an agent that can look at many different carriers to see what is the best fit for you based on your age and health profile. And um, there's a lot of different flavors of insurance. You know, there's hybrid policies, there's pay as you go, there's one lump sum payment policy. So there's a lot of flavors out there. I don't personally sell insurance, um, you know, as a fee only planner, I work with my clients to give advice on these policies, but ultimately what I will do is I will work with my clients with their insurance broker to come up with the best solution. And, you know, ultimately what I found is that having a decision is probably the most important thing because I've had people brush it off and not doing it, do anything. And ultimately they leave it to their loved ones, whether it's their spouse or children, to make the decision or even find out if they have insurance or not. And so another key takeaway is once you have a plan for paying for your care is making sure your financial powers of attorney, making sure your, your healthcare powers of attorney, making sure they are aware of what that plan is. So if God forbid something happened tomorrow, they know where to go. They know what assets to utilize to pay for your medical costs and things of that nature. And they're not scrambling at the last minute. So, um, again, stress test the plan, see if you're successful with a long-term care event. If you need insurance or if you want insurance, there are a lot of different flavors you can go and making sure you're, you're consulting with the right individuals, the right advisors is extremely important in my experience. Uh, and then obviously let the loved ones know, let the people know your friends or family, what your decision is on that front. So they can essentially follow suit when, or if something were to happen. All right, the third stress test we're going to talk about is prolonged low returns in the stock market. And I'm not going to go into too much detail because I think it's pretty obvious what it is. We're going to assume lower than expected returns in the portfolio over the next 10, 20 or 30 years and see how the portfolio reacts, see how the, the goals react. Um, but I think why we do this is relevant. And I think a few pieces of data that I want the listeners to, to know about is, is important. Uh, if you look over the last 10 years, okay, let's take the S&P 500, which is a benchmark for U.S. large cap stocks. The S&P 500 over the last 10 years from 2011 to 2020 has returned 11.96% per year. So we'll call it 12% a year. If we look over a longer period of time, let's say 50 years, the S&P 500 has returned 6.8% per year. So essentially over the last 10 years, the market's outperformed 5% per year. 
So, you know, and there was there was a lot of factors there. And, you know, if, we, if you know, if we think about the Great Recession, 2007 to 2009, we were just coming out of that in 2011. You know, so that's a factor. You know, anytime you come out of a recession, the stock market booms. Um, you know, we had quantitative easing. We had uh, prolonged low interest rates. So there's not a lot of places to go for yield. Naturally, people invest in stocks to get yield in low interest rate environments. But um, if we believe in the law of averages and looking at the idea that the market is cyclical, you know, I'm going to venture that we could experience some lower expected, lower than expected returns over the next 10, 20 or 30 years. So if we believe that, it's prudent to stress test how the portfolio is going to react to those types of scenarios. And, you know, the way we do this, if a client has a more aggressive appetite, meaning they have a higher exposure in stocks in their portfolio and their strategy, I would argue that we would want to stress test closer to one and a half to two or two percent per year less in returns over the duration of the life expectancy. The client's more balanced, if they're more conservative, they have a higher percentage in fixed income of the portfolio, we could probably lean more towards 1% per year less from a return standpoint. Um, but you'd be surprised at the results. You know, if, if you are a, a, you know, on the edge of being successful or if you're on the, uh, the verge of being unsuccessful versus successful, you know, it's one of those things that you'd want to know. And if we if we enter that scenario of being in a lower than expected return type of, uh, of market for a, a 10 or 15 year period, you know, it's it's probably good to know, like, hey, wh what can I reasonably expect from an income standpoint? And more importantly, from a goal standpoint, you know, what do I need to prioritize as my needs versus wants versus wishes? Um, so. I hope that's helpful. And, and again, this is one of those things that I, I think everybody should do, especially not even just the folks approaching retirement, especially those folks that are 20 years away from retirement or even 30 years away. Because, you know, in that scenario, we're assuming a, let's say a 20 year or a 30 year savings rate window, as well as another 30 or 40 year retirement phase. So the, the return that you build into the analysis which will then determine how much you need to save for retirement um, is extremely important because, you know, if we assume a seven or 8% return every year, but we're only getting five or six, you know, that makes a big difference in terms of how much you need to save. And I'd much rather those younger clients that are, that have the time to be more aggressive on savings as opposed to having that false sense of security. Um, so again, this exercise is not only important for those that are in that retirement age, but, if you have kids uh, or if you're listening and you're in your 30s or in your 40s, you know, think about using a more conservative targeted return in your model to see what kind of savings rate you need to come up with to get to that targeted uh, targeted goal that you set forth in your plan. All right, the final stress test we're going to talk about is longevity risk or living longer than expected. Now, obviously, nobody has a crystal ball. And as a financial planner, I have to look at statistics when I'm dealing with clients, whether it be individuals or couples, you know, as we approach potentially a 20 or 30 year retirement window or even longer. And one statistic that always jumps out to me is that a 60 year old female, a non-smoker, has a 30% chance to live until 94 and a 20% chance to live until 96 and actually a 10% chance to live until 100. So if that 60-year-old retires at, let's say, 65, and they live until 
let's say 96, which there's a 20% chance, that's a 31-year retirement window we're planning for. Um, so that's a lot. A lot of variables can can change there, you know, and uh, inflation, uh, interest rate changes, tax law changes, other legislation changes, rates of return, etc. Um, another thing to think about is that males or females live longer than males, and if you look at that st- that same sixty year old, and let's consider this to be a male, also non smoker, has a thirty percent chance to live until ninety two instead of ninety four a 20% chance to live until 94, and then a 10% chance to live until 96. So if you look at that scenario, you know, two healthy individuals, you know, that are approaching retirement, there's a pretty good likelihood that the female is going to outlive the male. And, you know, if you ever go to a nursing home or a long-term care facility, you know, the majority of them are women. And so uh, oftentimes what happens, you know, if you've ever had personal experience in dealing with a loved one, you know, that needs care is that, If the male of the household needs care, oftentimes their spouse is still living and is able to help with some of the care at home. And if that male were to predecease the female, then the female is left to their own devices to get care at their end of life. And so oftentimes the female is relying on some sort of professional help, whether that be in home or in a nursing home, et cetera. So the first issue that I deal with when we're talking about longevity risk is sort of piggybacking piggybacking off the long-term care planning that we talked about a few segments ago is we need to make sure that there is a long-term care plan for the surviving spouse, in most cases, the female. And so oftentimes, if we're deciding on who to buy insurance for, for long-term care, I will oftentimes, and if there's a decision, you know, whether it be budget or other factors or maybe health, oftentimes I will advocate for the female be the one to buy the insurance because they're much more likely to rely on professional care. So they're not a burden on their other loved ones, whether it be children or grandchildren. So that's the first thing. The second thing we always have to address is uh, with longevity risk is providing some kind of guaranteed income that my clients can never outlive. And, you know, so the first source of this and the largest source of this type of guaranteed income, and I'm using quote to air quotes when I'm talking about guaranteed is social security. And, you know, the reason I'm using air quotes on this one is because, you know, right now it provides for roughly 40% of all income received by individuals 65 and older. And, and actually, I looked at a report recently and it said that Social Security represents approximately 20% of the entire federal budget. So it's a big number. And um, other estimates I've seen, other studies that I've seen done for Social Security estimates is that by 2041, if nothing changed, so there's going to be a deficit in funding Social Security, which is not a surprise. You know, so for those that are you know, 62, 65, or in their 70s or 80s, they're already collecting Social Security, they're very close to it. They're not as much of a concern, but the clients that are maybe in their 40s or 50s, definitely more of a concern there of, hey, is Social Security going to be there at the same capacity when I get to retirement than it currently stands? And there's, a, there's obviously a big question mark to that. And, and so many of times, you know, when we're dealing with this type of scenario, we're looking for other privately funded sources to provide that guaranteed income. And, you know, the natural, uh, the natural answer for guaranteed lifetime income is to purchase some kind of private, privately sold annuity. And so annuities by design are meant to provide that guaranteed lifetime income that one can never outlive. So essentially, you're, you're putting that longevity risk on the insurance company. Um, the bet is that you outlive what the insurance company think, uh, how long they think you're going to live. 
So, you know, they have their actuary tables and they, they run all the statistical models, you know, based on your age and your gender. And they figure out, okay, you know what? I think this client's going to live until a certain age. And if you live past that, then you pass that break even point and you've made out ahead. If you pass away early or prior to that, then obviously the insurance company, quote unquote, wins. But there's definitely that there's definitely uh, something to be said for that peace of mind where, you know, a client is entering retirement with no concerns about that income source ever going away, you know, unless the insurance company obviously goes belly up, which is a different conversation. So, you know, the, the caution I would throw out there is that they these are oftentimes sold um, sort of as a, um, uh, you know, I, I would call it a fear mongering type of solution, you know, where, you know, folks that are entering retirement, they're obviously concerned about market volatility, they're concerned about income. And so oftentimes these are pushed by, you know, these insurance agents to purchase these annuities. And the question is, do you buy one? Uh, do you not buy one? If you want to buy one, how much of it do you purchase? And frankly, you know, just person, my personal experience with this is that these annuity products and these contracts are very complex. And so, so with that, obviously I'm biased given I am a fee only planner. I don't sell annuity products. Uh, I always recommend clients that are looking at purchasing some type of annuity product to consult with a fee only practitioner to get that second set of eyes when you're working with your insurance agent to figure out what makes sense, what type of flavor of the annuity makes sense, and then ultimately how much of your money should be put into that type of product. Um, so just, just personally within my practice, I like a scenario if my clients have a certain amount of fixed expenses that they never want. Uh, you know, they never want to be concerned about meeting. Okay. And let's say Social Security makes up 50% of those expenses, and then the rest is made up of all of their other investments, you know, whether it be a 401k plan or an IRA or other stock portfolio. In that scenario, we might look at back backing into how much they would need to put into that annuity to get that other 50% for their fixed expenses. Okay, so that, that's kind of a, um, a very simplistic way to say that we want guaranteed income sources to fund most of the guaranteed expenses that my clients have. Now, if my client has a Social Security plan, you know, for, for them or them and their spouse, and they also have a pension, you know, whether it be through military or federal government or private pension, you know, I, I may not really even consider an annuity in that case, you know, because we may have met, most of the fixed expenses being met by those fixed income sources. Uh, but that's a real simple way to sort of figure out, okay, hey, here are my fixed expenses. How much do I need to back into putting into this type of annuity to get those uh, the, the, the fixed expenses met by fixed income? Now, another caution I would throw out there aside from the complexity is that interest rates are historically low. Um, you know, the, you know the, the 10-year treasury, I mean, was, was next to nothing, you know, just within the last few months. And, and frankly, interest rates have been historically low really since... 0809, you know, since the Great Recession, you know, they, they had a lot of several series of, uh, of rate cuts and they've stayed like that for a long period of time. What happens, what's happened is that these insurance companies, the models that they ran to assume the longevity piece of the pie, as well as what they could earn on their general portfolio to pay out the income sources, they're way lower than expected. And so the result of that now is that these annuity rates are extremely low. And so I, it's, it's very important to look at those types of products and kind of look under the hood to make sure that the annuity is what you think it is. Because many a times it'll be dressed up, you know, it'll say a certain thing, but really if you look at the fine print, 
it's really going to be performing a different way and, and have liquidity restrictions or substantial upfront costs. So again, I, again, I'm biased, but always consult with a fee-only practitioner that un understands these types of products, but that's not actually earning a commission from recommending that particular solution. Um, so we've talked about the long-term care planning. We've talked about that risk there and addressing later in life expectant, uh, expenses for the surviving spouse. We've talked about guaranteed income. Um, what I will say about guaranteed income, and the final note here, you know, before before I close out this uh, this segment, is that we can replicate a very well designed portfolio. We can replicate the guaranteed income sources that my clients need to to get that fifth that extra fifty percent to get to their fixed expenses with a well designed investment portfolio. And you know, I say that obviously, you know, there's volatility involved. There's always risk involved. But from my experience, I am a, a big fan of using the endowment model and the endowment model, you know, essentially being the notion of creating a really well diversified portfolio and creating a targeted withdrawal rate on that portfolio to where you have an extremely low risk of ever dipping into principal or at the very least outliving your assets. Um, and, and I and I, I'm definitely more of a fan of that, uh, that type of strategy really for for two reasons. Number one you maintain all of that liquidity on your balance sheet. And so, whereas the annuity, once you give that money up to the insurance company, you know, that's a, um, you know, that's gone. You know, that's a, that's an irrevocable decision. The insurance company has your money. And then secondly, it's very, um, it, it's essentially impossible to leave those assets to the next generation. You know, so if that is important to you, not only to maintain liquidity for those long-term care expenses down the road or, or to leave those assets to let's say kids or grandkids, you know, the annuity oftentimes provides uh, a lot of limitations there. So for, for that reason, again, if we're well disciplined, we can design a strategic investment policy statement. Again, consult with a practitioner that understands income when it comes to investing portfolios. That's very different than accumulating assets. Um, you know, again, I, I always lean towards that route because it gives my clients flexibility. It keeps the assets on their balance sheet for the emergencies. And then ultimately, they're able to leave those assets for legacy, whether it's to their family or to charity. Um, so I hope that's helpful to get an understanding of how we're addressing those longevity risks, uh, how our clients are alleviating some of the concerns around Social Security, how our clients are using the longevity statistics when it comes to planning for things like long-term care expenses, and then ultimately how to create that, um, uh, replicate that guaranteed income streams like Social Security have with your own assets. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and hope you have some takeaways that you can apply to your own situation. If you would like help stress testing your retirement plan and want to speak to me, you can reach me directly at Kevin at imaginefinancialsecurity.com. You can also go to my website at www.imaginefinancialsecurity.com. There's a book now link that goes directly to my calendar so you can book a 30 minute free consultation. Always happy to have those discussions and see how we can help you directly. And I can assure you that if you can pass these four stress tests, you will be sleeping better at night and you will retire with a high degree of confidence and have that financial peace of mind that you will never have to be have to go back to work or be forced to go back to work, which is uh, there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, so until next time, signing off. My name is Kevin Lau, your host of Planning for Retirement, and hope everyone enjoys the rest of your day.